Now, this is the last uh, in our series on the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 28 today. Um, so it's, as some of you are, I know it's, it's quite an interesting sight now. I'm just, everybody's like flipping your Bibles, right? Suddenly you look down and your hands start moving, uh, which is great, which is great. But how many of you have been blessed by our entire series on Matthew this year? Yep. Amazing, right? Amazing how God has just been speaking. And, and I've read Matthew multiple times. And this year, the, the, the content of Matthew and what Matthew has been talking about has just become so much more real, so much more deep, uh, so much more understanding that I've received. And, and, and I hope that today, as we look at this final chapter in Matthew 28, uh, we will really be blessed by this understanding and, and an understanding that will bring us to such great, gives us such great joy, such great excitement as to what God's going to do in our lives because we're going to talk about this one major event in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, if you ask anybody, any Christian, give me, you know, the, what are the most important life events in, in, in the life of Jesus Christ? You would usually get at least one or all three of these answers. The birth of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to look at today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28. But before we look into Matthew 28, I want us to start off by getting an understanding of how important the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. How important it is to believe and understand and live in this, this, live in this understanding and work out this understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So can I just invite you to put your finger on Matthew 28? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians 15, we see this entire chapter that Paul begins to uh, speak to the church in Corinth about what the resurrection is and how powerful the resurrection is. But he starts off by explaining that the resurrection is a very important aspect of our understanding as Christians. Because, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, if Christ did not resurrect, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain is in vain. Which means this, if Christ was not, uh, was not raised from the dead, and if we do not preach a resurrection of Jesus Christ, then there is no reason for you to come to church on Sundays. In fact, there's no reason for you to believe in Jesus Christ. There is no reason for you to worship Him or to, to tell people about Him or even celebrate Christmas. No reason at all. It will all be in vain. No point. And, and the, the reason why Paul tells us that is because if we do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no reason to saying that Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is worthy of our worship. And so as I preach this message on the resurrection today, I pray that we will get this deep understanding and conviction in our hearts that the resurrection is real, the resurrection is true, and the resurrection is powerful. Let us pray. Father, as we look into your word, Lord, may you make this understanding of the resurrection become so real in our lives that it becomes such a, a, a conviction in our hearts that not just do you die for our sins, not just do you sacrifice yourself and take on our sin upon yourself and face death, but that you also rose again. 
And because you rose again, we get this opportunity, this privilege, this honor of worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because that is who you are. And so, Lord, as we read your word, as we listen to your word, may your Holy Spirit begin to speak into our hearts, convict us, deepen our understanding much, much more than we have at this point. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the things I'm hoping that this message will do as I, as I share it with you is, as I said, just raise your hearts in excitement. Now, um, I watched the Sea Games um, on and off uh, on YouTube. And we, as a country, we didn't do particularly well, but we won the 100-meter uh, men's finals. All right? Um, how many of you watched that particular race? Okay, some of you didn't really re- know we won the gold medal, right? Um, we, this is the second time, at least uh, consecutively, we won when, when the SEA Games was held in KL, and now in the Philippines, we won the second time. Now, here's, here's what I did. I, I wasn't following live telecasts, so I didn't know, uh, it, it wasn't a situation if I didn't know who won. I watched it on YouTube, meaning to say that on the headline or the title of that video, it already says that Malaysia menang 100 meter acara pecut, all right? Men's finals, sprint 100 meters, we won. But I wanted to watch and see how it went, okay? So this is what I did. I uh, turned on that video, turned it down soft a bit because, like I said, I've got my third kid now, uh, and you know, you just make sure the atmosphere is not so loud, okay? Um, So I I turned the volume down a bit, um, and then I watched. I watched as every participant, every contestant in that finals was named, and you know, they raise their hands or they do this, or the Thais always do this. Um, and, and then there's the Malaysians. Uh, there were two Malaysians there in, the, in that race, um, and they were all lined up. And, um, and then the, the, the announcer goes, on your marks, and then they get down and they get ready, and then you hear the gunshot. Now, mind you, I already know we won. I already know we won. But as I was watching that race, and it's only 10 seconds, eh? all right, as I'm watching that race, as I see this man in lane five, if I'm not mistaken, Muhammad Haikal Hanafi, right? Lane five, just running his heart out, and, and he's chased pretty near by, uh, by the people on his left and his right, and, but he's running his heart out, and, and then you begin to see this V formation starting to form, and the guy at the head of that V formation is a Malaysian. And this commentator, Malaysian, is beginning to scream his heart out as he realizes the guy, he's, he's his countryman, is going to win this race. He's, he's like, he's going on, what's going on? He's, he's, he's getting chased by somebody else. He's getting, he's getting faster, he's getting faster. And as he's doing this, and by the way, the volume is still very down low. Huh? My heart begins to get excited. My heart is looking at this going, he's going to win, he's going to win. I know he's won. But he's gonna win, he's gonna win, he's gonna win, and he wins! And, and in my heart, now, because again, I've still got my third kid, right? I cannot scream, I cannot shout, but I'm like, yes, <laughs> Right? Because it, it was just, I was just so excited. But here's the thing I hope this message will be like this 10 second sprint. Because at the end of this, we're gonna worship God. We're gonna worship God and say, yes! And my third kid's not here, so you can go as loud as you want, all right? We're gonna worship God with all of our hearts because we're gonna say, God, you are so awesome. You have resurrected. You have beaten every world record. You have beaten every power that is is on earth, any authority. You're greater than that, and that's why we're gonna worship you. We're gonna sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God because that is the God we worship. We're going to look at the resurrection and see why that is the case. Now, um, so turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. 
I'm going to read from Matthew 28, verse 1, all the way to 20, all right? So the entire chapter, we're going to read it together. Um, it's not on the screen, so I want to encourage you to just take out your phones, take out your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 28, and I'm going to read there. I'm going to read from the ESV. Um, and so here we're going to go. Last final chapter of Matthew. This is our final uh, lap. Here we go. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Just a chapter ago, just a chapter ago, Matthew 27, and in, in, in that time, just two days before the events of Matthew 28, we read about the death of Jesus Christ. A death so gruesome, so tragic, so dark, so painful. But at the end of that passage, we see this, this idea that death had won. Death had won. The son cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Earthquake. Midday darkness and a death so certain that when the guards stabbed his side, a mixture of blood and water poured out. Whatever name you give this man, son of God, son of man, Messiah, rabbi, teacher, prophet, whatever you gave him his name, this man is dead. This man is dead. But I want to point out something in this whole period of this crucifixion. Who were those who were there with Jesus when he died. Turn with me to Matthew 27, verse 55 to 56. It just gives an account 
of a couple of people, and it says there in verse 55, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, so serving Jesus, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Three particular women who were named here, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, who is, who is the mother of Jesus as well. All right, so John tells us that Jesus' mother was there at the crucifixion. But this Mary, if you want to just confirm, uh, turn with me to Matthew 13, 55. 13 verse 55. Uh, this is when Jesus was in his hometown and he was preaching back in Nazareth. And people looked at him and he said, Hey, I know this fellow. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the son of Mary? his mother, and isn't this the brother, and then he names, they name out four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. So this James and Joseph is the same James and Joseph in Matthew 27, verse 56. We're talking about three people, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. That same mother who went to Jesus and said, hey, uh, when you come into your kingdom, uh, can you put one son on your left and one son on your right? All right, that same mother, who went to Jesus, uh, was, was Jesus, was with Jesus at his crucifixion. But at the crucifixion, the disciples, all except John, had deserted Jesus. The Jews, the chief priests, the scribes, they mocked him. The guards, they performed their duty, put him on the, on the cross, that was their instruction. But then they also took bets on his clothes. And then there was, there was some who looked at Jesus after all that had happened, a centurion who looked at Jesus and said, truly, this must be the Son of God. The women standing there throughout, heartbroken. Heartbroken. I've served, I've ministered to this man all throughout his ministry. And here he is on the cross, dead. And then two men, interesting, two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, men of nobility, men who were religious leaders, they took him down with Pilate's permission and gave him a burial that is not due to a criminal or a sinner or a commoner, a burial for nobility. Joseph opened up his own tomb to put Jesus in. But at the end of that day, Jesus was dead. And that was day one. Day two, was the Sabbath, so nobody did anything. And then day three, on the dawn of the third day, at the beginning of the new week, almost symbolic of what was going to happen is a change of an era. At the beginning of that day, the beginning of that week, two women named in Matthew went to the tomb. And from that moment on, we read the story of one of the most incredible events in world history. An incredible event that has changed the way we see life, that has changed the way in which people say, I believe in Jesus and will continue to transform lives all the way till kingdom come. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's how I'm going to go through this passage uh, or, this, or this, this message today. First of all, I want us to get an understanding of what the resurrection is, all right? And I hope that whatever you've understood of the resurrection so far, that this message today will give you an, an even greater understanding and an even greater joy in knowing that Jesus has resurrected. And the second part of this message is this. 
How can I have this power of the resurrection live in me? How does the power of the resurrection work itself out in my own life and that I live out in the victory that comes through Jesus Christ? So we're going to first talk about the power of the resurrection itself. What is the power of the resurrection? First one, the power of the resurrection tells us that death is defeated. All right, so repeat this after me. Death is defeated. All right, I hope that at the end of this section, you would say death is defeated like death really defeated. All right, this is not like, oh, death is defeated because I'm so excited about this. I, I read about it and I learn about the resurrection and I go, death is decisively defeated. And so this is what it says. This is, well, let me, before we go, this is what it says. We all don't want to die. Right? There's this understanding that, that, that even if our physical bodies die, because we know we're spiritual beings, even if you were never taught that way, you ask yourself this question, what happens to me after I die? And so there's this understanding that because there is this unknown, we don't want to die. We don't want, what, if, what if the unknown is, is, is dangerous? What if it, it is painful? What if it's suffering? But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that real death is separation from God, total separation from God. And the Bible also tells us that because of our sin, we are separated from God. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And, and I find the word wages is, is interesting because wages is your salary, right? It is not the punishment of sin, it's the wages of sin, meaning, that, meaning this, the consequence of all the things that we've done, this is how you get paid back. So the wages of our sin, the salary, the consequence of our sin is that we die. The wages of sin is death. And so when we, when we realize this, we, we realize that if I'm totally separated from the presence of God, I'm totally separated from life, from peace, from love, from joy, from, from excitement, from, from the good things, and I live eternally in suffering, in toil, in sorrow, in grief, in hate, in anger, in jealousy, and all the things that come with being away from the presence of God. The reason why some of us who have not yet believed but still experience some joy and some love and some life as we live on this earth today is purely by the grace of God. Purely by the grace of God. But the moment we die and we're totally separated from God, there is no more hope. We live in eternal suffering if it was because of our sin. Total separation from God. And the Bible tells us there's no way we could have gotten out of it ourselves. There's no way we could have gotten it out of it. This was our destiny. In the old English, it uses the word eternal damnation. And that essentially what is what it is. You are doomed and then, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Totally different story now. This becomes a glorious story of what Jesus has done for us because what He did, what He did, God who loved us and who longed for us to be back in relationship with Him, back in relationship, not total separation anymore, back in relationship eternally with Him, came came. He wants us free from death, right? So he came, became God incarnate, man in the God in flesh, came and took on himself our sin. 
took on himself all the wrong things we've done, all our pride against God, all our rebellion against God, took it upon himself on the cross and said, I will die on your behalf. I will take the punishment of your sin upon myself. He faced the wrath and the justice of God meted out in death. And we praise God Every time we celebrate Good Friday, every time we take communion, every time we worship God, we remember the only reason we can come before God is because God had taken away our sin and has brought us back into relationship with Him. But here's the thing. This is where it gets interesting. If Jesus died and never rose again, then just like any one of us, He succumbed to eternal death. He succumbed to eternal death, if he never rose again. So all he was able to do was help us avert death, but he never actually defeated it. Meaning this, Satan still wins. Think about this for a while. If Jesus never rose again from the grave, from the dead, then death had a hold over Jesus and Satan still won. So we understand that the battle in the spiritual isn't just about our lives, just about us in relationship with God. The battle is about the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of darkness. And the battle is kingdom of heaven versus kingdom of darkness. And we say that Jesus is king. If we sing glory to the newborn king, this king, if he has lost, is not king. This king must have won. This king isn't just a suffering servant. This lion isn't just the lamb. It was a lion. A lion wins. So he cannot have just saved us. He must decisively defeat death. It must be so clear, so true, so real that death had lost. Satan's greatest weapon, death, was of no power against Jesus. That is what Jesus had to do. Now, most of the time when you see me preach, I usually don't wear a tie. You realize that? Right? I usually don't wear a tie. And today it was special. I thought about resurrection and wear a tie. Because so powerful, right? right. Um, now, the reason why is this. Now, I, I, I got this shirt from Uniqlo. I'm, I'm a Uniqlo fan. Any Uniqlo fans out here? Yeah, all right. Now, I'm, to be fair, I'm a Uniqlo deals fan. So I, I walk into Uniqlo and I go to that section where all the cheap stuff is. All right. Um, anyway, I saw this uh, and I thought, this is a good deal. All right? So I, I got it and then I tried to wear it and, 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 and I've looked at myself on, on some of the YouTube videos of, of, of my messages and, and, I, and I noticed uh, and that uh, sometimes as I move about and all that, the collar gets hidden or you know, it just doesn't look too um, video worthy. Um, but uh, so I tried this out, I looked at the mirror, and as I did, I realized the, the, the collar would you know, get stuck under the jacket and just move out and just get out of place. So I thought, okay, maybe I should just button it up. As I buttoned it up, I realized it still didn't look that great because I realized I have to button the top up, right? The top button in the middle here, all right? And as I did, I looked at myself and I thought, this section looks a bit too hipster for the pants. So I decided, okay, well, let's try and put a tie on, put the jacket on, and then see what it looks like, and voila. All right? Um, I, I did, thank you. Thank you very much. And so I went to my wife, and I go, oh, dear, look smart, not. She's holding the third kid, and I'm like, okay, la, all right? Um, 
And so, and so this is why I, I did this today. Um, I did this yesterday and I realized if I'm going to give you the same object lesson, I have to wear the same shirt today. Um, so yes, come, come and hug me, right? Uh, uh, now here's the thing. If I had to come and decisively look in a particular way, Jesus was also no half-past six saviour. Jesus would have to come and save us from our sins, but also tell us that he has victory over the consequence of sin. That means he would have to come and complete the entire process so that he would then be reigned as king, so that he would be reigning as king, so that he enthroned as king, because if you would call him king, then he has to defeat every other power that puts itself up as king. And so he came to earth not just to save us from our sins, he came to earth to complete the entire process of his enthronement as king. And that means he had to defeat death. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. It's on, this, it's on the screen. It's here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 to 26. He says, Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Let me stop there. Sickness. Jesus had already shown us he had power over it. Demon possession. He had power over it. And so when people walked with Jesus throughout his ministry, they know Jesus had authority over these things. Jesus also had authority when he spoke and people realized that the things that were coming out of his mouth was life-changing, countercultural, but life-changing. So he had authority and he was breaking every rule, every power and every authority. But then Paul says this, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You destroy death, everything else, confirm, destroyed under the king. Jesus then becomes king. He is enthroned as king. There is no other power that can stand up to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so he had to decisively show us that death is defeated. That's the power of the resurrection. Death is defeated. So how do you defeat death? How do you defeat death? I'm going to give you three steps. You don't have to do it. You just have to understand it. Defeating death 101. Step one, you must be certainly dead. <laughs> one of the biggest arguments against the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this, he actually didn't die. And you hear this, you hear people who say that Jesus didn't die. Actually, what he did was when he was on the cross, right, he fainted. All right, he, uh, well, that's my short way of saying it, but he, he fainted. So, so he wasn't dead. His, his some function of his body was still okay, was still working. He wasn't actually dead. And then when you put him in the tomb, when you put him in the tomb, the cool air of the tomb, the quietness and the silence and the resting of those two nights in the tomb. And on the third day, he woke up. I'm alive. They call this the swoon theory. So Jesus didn't actually die, he swooned. And, and so he wasn't actually dead. Now let me tell you this, John chapter 19 tells us he's actually dead. He actually died. Two reasons. First of all, because it was, um, it was the day before the Sabbath, and they, did not, they were not going to take down the bodies on the Sabbath itself. It was a holy day. You don't touch dead bodies. You make unclean. You don't do work anyway on the Sabbath. So they said, we have to take these bodies down before dark. 
And, and so they, they got the permission of, the, of Pilate to say, look, um, we noticed that some of these uh, crucified people are still alive, uh, so we have per- can we get permission to do what is routinely known as breaking their legs? I know some of you are like, yeah. All right? It's true, it's very gruesome. All right? um, so Jesus uh, on the cross with two men, and, and so they look at this first guy, and they realize there's, he's still alive, all right? There's still some breathing. The, the heart is still beating. He's, he's still perhaps moving a bit. And a lot of it is because he's used his legs to sustain himself. They're not gymnasts. Huh? They can't do this cross and then last there forever, all right? So he's using his legs to hold himself up for a bit. And so he's still alive. They break his legs and then he dies of suffocation. Cannot breathe anymore, all right? So they break his legs and then they go to the next person on the other side. And then they realize he's also still alive. They break his legs. And so these guys die an accelerated death. But then they look at Jesus. And then John says that when they saw Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they did not break his legs. But what one of the soldiers did was they pierced his side, up his rib, all right? Pierced his side and then blood and water flowed out. Now, there are medical terms for this. It's known as hypovolemic shock and the result of that, all right? But I'm a lawyer. I just look at evidence, all right? So you tell me, if a doctor tells me, expert witness tells me, this is confirmed, a situation of death, I take it as it is, all right? But this is what John was telling us. When the, when the sword or the spear was pierced on his side, blood and water, a mix of, mixture of blood and water flowed out and the guards did not break Jesus' legs. Not just is this proof, that Jesus died, it is also fulfillment of scripture. They did not break his legs. Neither did any of his bones break. And so they knew Jesus was dead. These two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, took him down, buried him together with the women who were there. And that's why the women know where the tomb was. All right? They buried him in Joseph's tomb and then left him there. He was considered as dead. In fact, just to be doubly sure, the religious leaders told Pilate, look, this guy says he's going to rise again, so just to prevent the disciples from stealing his body, can you please put some guards and then seal the stone, seal the tomb. And so you put a seal on the tomb, you put guards there, you make sure nobody is going to take this body away. Just because I know he's dead, I don't want people to lie that he's alive. I know he's dead. So you've got to be certainly dead. There is no reason to talk about the resurrection if Jesus actually never died. You've got to be certainly dead. Step two, be certainly alive again. So you've got to be certainly dead and then you've got to be certainly alive again. It makes no sense to talk about the resurrection if you're never alive again. All right, if you're dead and you're dead, you're dead forever, that's it. But if you're alive again, then people start to think. People start to think, hey, This guy just resurrected. Is this true? Can this be real? And the Bible tells us through different accounts of different people, especially in the Gospels, but even after that, and we will look at that, that that Jesus appeared to different people. Jesus appeared to the disciples. Jesus appeared to many others throughout Jerusalem. And historians would write of the fact that that people have claimed that Jesus had appeared. And when, when, when they say that Jesus appeared, it was not some story that everybody concocted. In fact, it would make it very dumb for disciples to concoct the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then die for it. Like they would die for a lie. 
Like if there was one thing you would die for, you die for something that's true. And so when the disciples put their lives out there, ready to be executed, ready to be persecuted, they must have sincerely believed, truly believed that they had seen Jesus alive after he had died. And that was the account. And it wasn't just the disciples who said it. It was hundreds of people who said, I saw Jesus. Hundreds of people who said, this man I thought was dead two days ago is now alive. And for a period of 40 days that Jesus was on earth, before he ascended back into heaven, he appeared to many people. This is Paul's summary of, his, um, of, of, of Jesus' appearances to people in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Turn with, me, oh, turn with me to the slides there. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day also in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, meaning they've been persecuted or executed. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Now remember this, Paul was a persecutor of the church. That means this, he didn't believe Jesus was alive. He said, all these disciples who said that Jesus is alive, they're not worthy to live. I'm going to execute them. I'm going to persecute them because they're preaching a lie. And then on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. He has a vision so real, a vision that shows him that this Jesus whom he knew had died, he was alive when Jesus died. Paul knew as, as a religious leader himself that Jesus had died. But now he's facing Jesus face to face in all glory, in that bright vision. And, he going, and he's going, he's actually alive. He appeared to me. Here's the thing. Jesus certainly rose again. Jesus certainly became alive again. There is no doubt, no matter what people say, that Jesus was certainly alive again. And we praise God that he was alive. But he cannot end there. You cannot just have step one and step two. Step one and step two is, 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 is standard, right? You've got to suddenly die and then you've got to suddenly rise again. But step three, you've got to certainly never die again. Cannot die. Here's the thing. Lazarus was raised to life, right? Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. In fact, Jesus gave some time for Lazarus' body to rot. And then after that, he goes to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes forth in, in, in all his burial um, wrappings. He comes forth and, and he's alive once again. He's alive once again. Everybody's like, wow. And then Jesus in that context says, I am the resurrection and the life. No, Jesus isn't saying I'm the resurrection life just because I've raised Lazarus to life. Jesus is saying, you've seen this, right? You ain't seen nothing yet. Because Lazarus was raised to life, but Lazarus died eventually. Lazarus died, whatever it was, of old age or because, you know, he was persecuted because he believed in Jesus, but Lazarus' body died. Jesus' body, however, did not die. In fact, Jesus' body was a very interesting kind of body. But before I go into how interesting Jesus' body is, this is how Paul describes the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, which will also be the same for us when we are resurrected with Christ. And the resurrected body of Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Cannot perish, cannot die. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. So it is a glorious body. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. So it's a powerful body. None of the kind that we have right now. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And then further down in verse 53, he goes, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. The mortal, the body that can die, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the, mortal, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We declared this just now. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And let me just remind you that that phrase is not a question. It's a rhetorical taunt. It's not, hey, death, you still win or not? It's death, you have no hold. You have no victory. You have no power. You have no sting. Mana ada, where is it? Show it to me if you got, but I know you do not have anymore. That is the picture of a resurrected body. Death has no power over that body anymore. Shall we praise the Lord for that? Shall we praise the Lord for that? Shall we praise? Praise God for that. So what does the resurrected body of Jesus look like? Well, for one, he can walk through walls. And it's very interesting because the disciples, some of whom had not seen Jesus yet uh, when, after he had rose, um, they, they, were locked, they locked themselves up in, in a room uh, just so, because of fear of the Jews, right? Because people started to find out that this, this tomb has been ransacked, apparently, um, and, and, and the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus and are going to proclaim that he rose again, blah, blah, blah. And so these guys were really fearful. They locked themselves up so that nobody would come in. And then Jesus comes and goes, Greetings! Imagine the kind of freaking out that's going on right now, right? I, I did steal you. Why are you here? They're going to say that, but you're alive. I, I didn't steal a body, but this body is here right in front of my face, alive. He must have walked through walls. But the same body, the same Jesus say greetings, also told Thomas, look at my hands. It held the scars of the crucifixion on his body. It's, it's a body that I, I, I'm, I'm still beginning to understand. This body has, has got, it's, it's different, it's glorious, but it also holds the scars that show us that this is the man, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who, was, who, who took his life for us. Not this can you walk through walls, this body can teleport. All right, you like teleportation? You, like, you would you like to like, get somewhere faster without the traffic jam? All right. This this was a story of Jesus walking with the with, with two men, most likely his disciples, to on the road to Emmaus, and he explains to them scripture because they were all really sad. They were like, uh, they, I mean, they looked at this man. They didn't know it was Jesus. They looked at this man and go, "Aren't you the? Are you the only fellow who doesn't know what's happened in Jerusalem these past two days?" But as he's walking with them, he's explaining to them scripture. And these guys, something was going on in their hearts because they they acknowledged this later on. Something was going on in their hearts as Jesus was talking to them, and then. And as they reach Emmaus, they're about to stay there. Jesus walks on. And I think he was doing this like, like a little um, uh, 
push and pull kind of a conversation with them. Because then they say, hey, Jesus, come stay with us, stay with us. Right? Sorry, they didn't say Jesus. They just told this guy, come stay with us. And, and as they were there having dinner, breaking bread, Jesus reveals himself. And then they realize the guy that died two days ago, he's sitting in front of us now. And then he disappears. He disappears. And the moment he disappears, these two men, so excited about what they saw, they, they, they forget their dinner, they forgot, the, I mean, they left the fact that they were supposed to stay there. They ran back to Jerusalem. Now, Emmaus and Jerusalem isn't very far if you're using a car. But, they, but these guys were walking, all right? So they ran back to Jerusalem and, and they went and told the disciples, hey, we saw Jesus. He was talking to us. He, he, he said stuff about the scriptures that made our hearts burn within us. And we saw him. He's alive. And then in that moment, in that conversation, Jesus goes, greetings. Now, I, I don't know if Jesus runs fast. Maybe he runs as fast as Muhammad Haikal Hanafi, right? Uh, but that's a long distance. All right? Emmaus to Jerusalem. It's not a 100-meter sprint. And then he hides behind the door and goes, greetings. No. But Jesus disappeared right from there. He didn't say, oh, okay, I'm going to leave the room now. I'm going to go over to Jerusalem. I'll see you there. No, he disappeared. And then he reappeared in Jerusalem with the disciples. But this body that can teleport can also eat. How many of you, you wish your resurrected body right, can enjoy all sorts of food? I do. I was at a Christmas party last night and, and someone said, um, my Christmas wish is that I don't have to count calories when I eat, uh, when I celebrate Christmas. I said, very simple, I just don't count. Nah. But this resurrected body, Jesus' resurrected body can eat. When he, when he greeted the disciples, he also said, hey, you got anything to eat? Ah? And then they gave him fish and he ate in front of them. In the John account, um, when, when the disciples were in Galilee, as they were supposed to. They're in Galilee and they were fishing and they found nothing. Um, they meet this man from the shore and, and they're, they're in, in the boats, right? They meet this man from the shore and he says, have you got anything? He said, nothing. He said, then he tells them, throw on the other side. They throw and then they catch a lot of fish, a sudden bounty uh, that, that just showed up on their nets and they were trying to get this fish in. And then John, John looks at the shore and looks at this guy and goes, hey, that's Jesus lah. And then Peter of all, of all the interesting things he could do, right? The John account tells us that Peter, he had already taken off his, his top, his shirt and all that because these are fishermen, right? They're in the hot sun, they're sweating and all that. So, so they take out their shirt, they, all they're doing is like in their pants and they're just doing that, 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 that whole fisherman job. Um, he puts on his shirt and then jumps into the water and then swims his way to shore. And I, I'm thinking, look, if I'm going to swim, I might as well just jump in, right? But he personally just swims all the way to shore, recognizes Jesus. And what is Jesus doing when Peter reaches there? He's cooking. He's barbecuing fish. He's saying, hey, uh, bring some of the stuff you've caught. Let's, let's put it on the grill, right? And, and he's eating and he's having breakfast with them. So this body that can teleport can also eat. This is a very interesting body. Now, I don't know what my resurrected body will look like. Maybe it'll still be a bit flabby. No, I may not get the eight-pack abs that, uh, that I was always wishing for. But I know, and I know for sure, just as what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this body will never decay and never die. This is a body that is a resurrected body. This is a body that will never die again. You've got three steps in order to show that you've defeated death. You've got to be certainly dead. You've got to suddenly be alive again. 
and you've got to suddenly never die again. That is the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Friends, we don't preach a gospel of salvation alone. We preach a gospel of victory. We preach a gospel of, 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 of a, we preach the good news of a God who not just saved us from our sins, but, has, but is victorious over death. This is the full gospel. It is not just that God, Jesus came to save us, but that he is king of kings and lord of lords because he is victorious over death. He's victorious over the power of death. And therefore, he can call us into a, a life of eternal relationship with him. And so just as eternal life begins now, Jesus says this in his prayer, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that knowledge, that relationship with Jesus Christ begins now. That is eternal life. If eternal life begins now, then eternal victory in Jesus Christ also begins now. That means we live with the opportunity of exercising the victory that we have in Jesus Christ from this day on. And that's the kind of life we should be living not a life of defeatedness, not a life that go, Allah, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. But a, life of, but a life that says, if God is for me, who can be against me? A life that says that God is with me, God empowers me, God enables me, God gives me the victory that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I live out each life. And no matter what struggles I face, I can trust in the power of God because if He has defeated death, there is nothing that can have its hold over my life. If the greatest enemy, the greatest weapon is subject to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, how can the enemy ever succeed anymore? And if God is with us, if God is for us, what can the enemy ever do? There is no more fear. Ask anyone who's been persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ and ask them, are you willing to go all the way? A lot of them will say, I hope I can. But here's one thing that's very important. They live a life that does not have the fear of death because Jesus has already overcome death. Yes, the mortal body can die, but I am so certain and, death, and, and Satan has no threat over him. I am so certain that I will have a resurrected body that will never die again, that will be in relationship with God forever and ever and ever, full of life, peace, love, joy, victory, and excitement. So there is no more fear. And that's why we live in that victorious promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper. That's why we live in this promise that, that because of what Christ has done, because of his victory, because of his resurrection, we have life and life forevermore. Romans 8.11 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. These, these bodies that can perish, these mortal bodies, but it gives you that victory, that life, and life here doesn't mean that, you, that, that breathing kind of life, that heart-beating kind of life. This life is a life of freedom. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from the power of sin. If you're talking about adultery or addiction or temptation or, or, or greed or jealousy or pride, whatever it is that you're struggling with, God gives you life that is powerful and victorious above all the things that the enemy can try and do at you, throw at you. 
And that is the power of the resurrection. If death is defeated, what else can the enemy do to you? Nothing. Can we give God some glory for that? Let's praise God for that. If some of you, you want to stand and praise God for that, do that, all right? Because God is so worthy of all the glory because He resurrected and He said, death, where is your victory? He taunted. He said, I've beaten you. You are defeated. Second aspect of the power of the resurrection, and and I want us to just flow along with Scripture as we do this. Second one, Christ is glorified. Christ is glorified. We're going to give God all the glory today. This, this This worship is continuing right now as we glorify God and say, you are glorified for what you have done. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. Paul says this, he wants the Ephesian church to understand the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Powerful, all right, powerful. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And and then this is what he did. Seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name, that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All throughout the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is named as our crucified and risen Savior. He is exalted, he is glorified, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we're going to let Scripture do the talking, shall we? We're going to let Scripture do the talking. I'm going to go through some of these passages, and I want you to read along for some of these with me. First one, we're going to read along together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. You know this, guys. You know this. We worship, we sing this out loud all the time. So let's all read this together, shall we? On the count of one to three. One, two, three. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of what Jesus has done, because he emptied himself, because he came to earth and became obedient to the Father, even to death on the cross, therefore he is exalted. Therefore he is exalted, and and his name is above every name. And at his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not just that, Paul also says in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, and I'll read this. He, he is introducing himself. He's saying, I'm an apostle of the gospel of God. This gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets. So this gospel has already been spoken about by the prophets in the old, prophets of old, in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, <coughs> excuse me, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. That means his resurrection from the dead is is an explanation of the glory and and this, this title that Jesus now has as the Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness. And so Jesus is exalted in the gospel. As Paul says, I'm a preacher of this gospel. I'm an apostle of this gospel. This gospel tells us that Jesus is exalted. Jesus is King. You see, the thing is, is the glory has been with God all this while. 
Because if you look at the prayer in John 17, verse 5 and verse 24, this is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified. Jesus said this, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So was that glory already there? Yes. Because this is a glory that was, that was God's and God's alone. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. His glory is now revealed in a manner that we can understand, that we can see and we can know with, 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 with greater depth and understanding that Jesus God incarnated, God became flesh, the crucified and risen Savior, the one that we can see, is now exalted as the Lord of Lords. Paul says this in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. Let me stop there. That's the authority and the power and the glory of God before creation, because creation was created through him. But then Paul goes on in Colossians to say he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Death had no existence prior to creation, prior to the fall. But from, the, from those who have died, from this Jesus who became man, who lived as the son of man, the firstborn from among the dead, he would have life and resurrection. And from that dead, in everything, that he would be preeminent that he would be above everything. And so Jesus, the God who became flesh, the God who became man, is lifted up and glorified because of what he has done for us. And therefore, God has exalted him and it is at his name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself Reconcile because there was separation. Reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This Jesus, God became man, God became flesh, is now the King of kings and the Lord of lords with all authority, all power, all rule and dominion over everything. Jesus is king. Jesus is over everything. Can we give God some glory once again? Praise you, Jesus, because that's who you are. That's the glorious Lord. The power of the resurrection is reflected in, firstly, death is defeated. Secondly, Christ is glorified. Here's the question. Does the power of the resurrection live in me? Does it live in me? And the best way to answer this question is to go look back at Matthew 28 now and go, how? do we respond in light of the resurrection? There are four groups of people that Matthew 28 talks about. Four groups of people. And we're going to go through them uh, bit by bit as we see the kind of responses that people gave in light of Jesus' resurrection. First of all, the chief priests and elders. They heard the God's story. 
they heard the story, and, and, and I don't think the guards would lie to them because they, they're just so dumbfounded as to what has happened, right? They, they're just going to chief priest and going, How, what do I do now? Right, so they heard the guards' story of the earthquake, of the angel, and the stone that was rolled away. They heard the story, and they heard it lock, stock, and barrel. They probably heard it verbatim. It was, it was, it was what had actually occurred. But they rejected it. They rejected it, and then not just they, they rejected it, the Bible tells us they took money gave it to the guards. Now, I don't know where they took the money from. Could have been from the temple. They were obviously the chief priests. Or they took the money from their own pockets. But they gave the guards money to lie. They paid the guards to lie. They rejected the truth that was coming from the guards. And they said, go tell people something else. They rejected it and they paid the guards to lie. What about the guards? Of all the people in this entire story, these were the people who actually saw what had happened. The guards felt the earthquake. They saw this angel like lightning, clothes white as snow, blazing brightness. The stone rolled away. In fact, because of all the things that were going on, they were fearful, they trembled, and they, and they, and they became like dead men. They were just lying on the floor and like, I don't know what just happened. Right? They, they perhaps fainted. They, they, they got up out of this and, and the first thing they did was they went and told the chief priest. And then they lied to say themselves. Now here's, here's what happens. Now if you're a Roman guard, all right, you're a Roman soldier, you've been assigned to protect a prisoner, or sorry, protect, you keep a prisoner. Um, if you're assigned to keep a prisoner and you fail at your job, meaning the prisoner escapes, the punishment for you is execution. All right, now this is very real, all right? The Roman soldiers know this because in Acts chapter 12, there was a series of guards that were supposed to keep Peter in prison. And not just did they keep Peter in prison, they actually locked him in together with them. All right? And in the middle of the night, Peter miraculously walks out. He thinks he's in a dream. He thinks he's in a vision. I think he walks out of the prison and realizes, hey, this is real. But he walks out and, and then he, he, he leaves. And the next morning, all the guards are dead scared because their prisoner is missing. And when Herod calls for an account as to what had happened, he orders that all the sentries be executed. So these guys know what they're talking about. Now, these guards are not keeping a prisoner. They're keeping a dead body. They were supposed to guard and they've sealed the stone that held a dead body. It's a dead body. At least that's what they were thinking. And so when all these things had happened, they went to the chief priest, and these are Roman guards, they're not the temple guards, all right? These are Roman guards because Pilate ordered them to do this. And so they, they go to the chief priest, they tell them all that has happened, and they know, oh, I'm gonna die like this. And so what the, you, you know why they're gonna die? Because it sounds so embarrassing. You're a Roman soldier, all right? You're trained, you're psychologically, mentally, physically trained, and you can fall like dead men. It's not like you fall, no, it's not like somebody beat you up. You fall like dead men. You're so shocked and embarrassed as, what, as to what has happened. They go to the chief priest. The chief priest pay their money to tell something else. And then they say, if, if this news gets to your governor, if this news gets to the authorities, we will pacify them. We will pacify them and keep you out of trouble so that you don't die. They lied to save themselves. But let's look at the response of this next two groups of people, the women. Mary Magdalene and, the Mary of, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who went to the tomb, initially thinking, I'm going to just anoint the body for burial. 
They saw the angel. They saw the empty tomb. And you know why the stone was rolled away? It wasn't because they were going to let Jesus out. It wasn't like the angel was going, oh, I've got to do this now, all right? Ta-da! And then he rolls the stone and then he sees Jesus, hey, you cool? All right, good? All right, high five. And then he walks out. No! Because Jesus can walk through walls. He doesn't need, he can teleport, he can walk through walls. He can, he's, he's got his resurrected body. He doesn't need a stone to be rolled away for him to open. The stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples, to let the women in to see that the tomb was empty. Because that's what the angel did. He told them the whole story, uh, the, the Jesus you're looking for, he's already resurrected, he's on his way to Galilee, you've, you've missed him. Uh, but he, he's alive, all right? Um, see where he lay. Come, have a look. And then these women go in. And, and in the John account, it tells us the disciples go in and they realize, eh, he's gone. The stone was rolled away for us to know that Jesus was certainly alive again. Jesus was certainly alive again. And, and when they realized this, th there's this major mixture of feelings that was going on, right? The Bible tells us that they were fearful, like what's going to happen to me now? What's going to happen in my life now? People are definitely going to say I stole the body. But yet joyful. Like he's alive. I know the truth. He's alive. This lie is going to get me killed, but he's alive. He actually, and, and they're running and they're like, <laughs> I, I don't know how to feel. It's just full of fear, but yet full of great joy. And then Jesus shows up and does his natural greetings. And he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He addresses the fear. He says, do not be afraid. And what did they do? They took hold of his feet. Jesus didn't levitate. Huh? They took hold of his feet, meaning they went down to the ground and worshipped him. And worshipped him. They took hold of his feet and worshipped him. The disciples, the disciples, they were fearful. They had disbelief. They had doubts. And, and let's be real about this. We're all disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and, and there are times when we, we doubt. There are times when we doubt. And in Matthew 28, just before Jesus gives the Great Commission, it, it explains, Matthew explains, some, with, some of them doubted. But you know what they did? You know what they did? They recognized the Lord and they worshipped Jesus. And when God gave them, when Jesus gave them the Great Commission, they obeyed it. All of us are going through this journey where, yes, there are doubts in our lives, there are doubts in our minds as to, can this work out? Is Jesus truly victorious? Is Jesus the one who has all power over everything on this earth? And you go through these struggles thinking, I don't know if this is true. And Jesus understands that. But as you work out in obedience to what God has called you to do, in obedience to the Great Commission, in obedience to the calling that God has for each one of us, God is going to work through those doubts with you. Because that's what He did for the disciples. As these people moved on in their lives, as, as Peter was going to go to Cornelius, I'm sure he had doubts. Like, did this gospel really, is this really supposed to go to the Gentiles? By the way, Galilee, interestingly, shows up a couple of times in Matthew 28. Galilee was where Jesus was going to meet Jesus. And Galilee, not just is it Jesus' hometown, it is known as Galilee of the Gentiles. And he gives you this understanding that when Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, he's saying, look at all the people in your neighborhood in Galilee. They are to be made disciples of because they are of people of different nations, not just the Jews, but different nations. And these guys understood it from the bat, right off the bat. I'm talking about making disciples. I'm talking about this is what I've got to do because this is what Jesus has called me to. How 
how do we respond? Firstly, we worship Jesus. We don't just worship Him as our Savior, we worship Him as the risen Savior, the one who has resurrected and has power over death. And second, we do what God has called us to do all these years, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded us to. And His promise with us is this, I will be with you to the end of the age. He cannot be with us if He's dead. But because He's alive, He will be with us all the way to the end of the age. Friends, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That means we walk in the freedom that comes with the authority of Jesus Christ. That means we know that our obedience to the Great Commission of our Lord is actually possible. It actually is achievable because Jesus, the glorious one, the all-powerful one, is alive and with us. He's our King of kings and our Lord of lords. So the fear of physical death, the fear of spiritual death has no hold over us anymore. They say that there are two things in life that are certain. You know this? Death and taxes. Well, I'll tell you, there's only one thing in life that's certain. Taxes. Because death is defeated. No, the one thing is certain in our life is this. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is exalted. Jesus is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is awesome. He is all-powerful. He is the King of the kingdom of heaven. He is great and worthy to be praised. This is the king we worship. The theme of Matthew all through from the start is Jesus is king. And he ends by showing us not just is he the newborn king, he is the resurrected king. He is king over everything. He is king of the kingdom of heaven. Let's give God glory once more. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to worship God. We're going to worship God. I encourage you if, you, if you don't really have to rush off, please don't. Let's just worship God together because He's worthy of our worship. Can we all stand? Can we all stand? I'm going to end with this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 and 58. Paul says this, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, let's read all this. Let's read this together, shall we? Let's read this together. Um, one, but thanks be to God, one, two, three. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. All that we do, all that we do will no longer be in vain because we worship, we worship a King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the great God who is above everything, the great God who is above all power, all authority, all rule and all dominion. Let's just worship God. Let's just raise our hands. We're going to sing all praise and name. All right. I cast my mind to Calvary. I cast my mind to Calvary. When Jesus bled and died for me, I see His wounds, His hands, His feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound, body bound, His body bound and drenched in yes, tears. Lord. Lay it down 
Oh, the 
church as he went out to preach the good news was not that the church is strong they never said that the church is effective everywhere they went the only one message Jesus is alive and that's why they could stand through persecutions that's why they can allow themselves to be eaten and fed to the lions and burned alive why? because they know that when they die they will rise again the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that's why the church was so powerful the amazing thing is this and the truth is this Jesus is alive today Amen Amen that's why we have a story to tell that's why we have good news to share and it's not coincidental that we close Matthew share this message one week before Christmas yeah you see all these things up here we celebrate with the world but more importantly behind all of this we draw them in we tell them there's a story we tell them Jesus is alive Amen. Amen. do that my friend do that next week Christmas weekend Christmas day is incumbent upon you and for me to bring in our non-Christian friends it's not up to us to convert them it's the Lord bring them and I tell you when their lives are transformed go out into all the world make disciples of all the nations teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you in the book of Matthew in one whole year we taught you and Lord I'm going to be with you always until the end of the ages we got work to do my friends after hearing all of this let's not only be moved but let's do it obey the Lord go into all the world share the good news and Jesus who's alive I'm going to be with you to the end of the ages let's do that this coming weekend Christmas day go and share bring them your friends your relatives who are unsaved hallelujah I want to ask Vayan to say his closing comments he closes in prayer just reminded that in Mark when Jesus sends out his disciples in Mark 15 sorry Mark 16 he says this and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak in new tongues they will pick up serpents with their hands and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover Father Father I pray that the power of the resurrection the victory that comes with our Lord Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead becomes alive in us becomes powerful working itself out in our lives when we do what you've called us to do when we share of the gospel when we share of the love of God to our friends to our colleagues to our marketplace uh, people and, and, and our clients and, and our families and even if you send us out Father to the ends of the earth oh God we will work with the victory that we already have with Jesus Christ and so God, may the power of the resurrection live in us from this day on. And Lord, may that power become so real in our lives. We thank you, God. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, let's give God a good clap offering. God bless you.